Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today we are discussing Jurassic Park 3, directed this time by Joe Johnston, written by Peter uh, Buckman, I don't know how to say his name, Alexander Payne, and Jim Taylor, starring Sam Neill, he's back. Hey, hey, he's returned. Woo! William H. Macy, Tay Leone, uh, Alessandro Nivola, <laughs> Trevor Morgan, Michael Jeter, and the famous Laura Dern is back as well. Basically, Sam Neill is uh, probably the most popular one here, and I guess Laura Dern as well. Uh, but she plays yes. a... She's Almost a cameo here. William H. Macy is a fairly decent name. Honestly, I would say William H. Macy is probably now more famous than Sam Neill. Because Sam Neill just, I can't even think of the last thing he's been in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He he was popular when this movie came out, uh, I guess. But not so much anymore. Right. John Williams is actually not back doing the music. Of course, the original yeah. theme is by John Williams, but we have new music by Don Davis, who was claimed to fame as the Matrix scores. I guess I, it's okay. Not memorable scores for me. And the reason Williams was not here is because he was, of course, working with Spielberg, scoring AI, and I guess... Williams suggested Davis for the score, and so that's basically what Spielberg was kind of working on at the time. Uh, He was offered to direct the third movie, and he did come up with some ideas, but he said directing a third would give him a tremendous Advil headache. Joe Johnston was not a surprising choice to direct the third movie because he actually wanted to direct the sequel to the very first movie but Spielberg said well I would like to do a sequel if we do one but if there's ever a third then go for it I've had my fill I don't really care to come back to the series he does Spielberg is involved as an executive producer and there is some photos of him on the set kind of helping out but it's not surprising Joe Johnston is kind of an interesting guy because he directed the Marvel film Captain America the first Avenger He also directed October Sky and The Rocketeer. Those movies are somewhat well-known. I wouldn't say they're too big. And he's actually currently working on the fourth Narnia movie, The Silver Chair, which Hmm. will come out December of this year, I believe. And he said that is his last movie that he will ever direct. Huh. That's interesting. We also have a very interesting writing uh, crew of writing. We've got three people working on this script and the first guy uh peter peter bookman he uh did the movie shay shay guevara starring benicio del toro part one and part two i highly recommend those and he also wrote the adaption of aragon the fantasy Hmm. film based off the book about the dragon uh alexander payne is actually a been nominated for six six oscars whoa yeah, he has two wins. He won the Oscar for The Descendants with the George Clooney movie, which was pretty good, and a movie called Sideways, which I've never heard of. And he also directed the uh, Bruce Dern movie Nebraska, uh, Bob, Oden- Bob Odenkirk and some other famous 
characters in that as well. That movie also garnered some other Academy Awards. So interesting writer and also the other writer, Jim Taylor. He has worked with Alex Payne before, nominated for some of the same stuff. He has been nominated for three Oscars, and he wrote the most recent movie, Downsizing, with Matt Damon and Kristen Wiig. And he has won one Oscar. Hmm. Kind of a weird team here. Yeah. So this movie was released July 18th, 2001. And the sequel, The Lost World, came out in 97. It, but it was only one year after the release of The Lost World that a sequel was announced. And it was announced in 98, and it was set for the release of Summer 2000. But they went through a number of different scripts, which really kind of messed up the timetable for the Summer 2000 release. And eventually, it came out three years after its announcement, which is... Uh, a little odd normally that doesn't happen but it's not too surprising with the Jurassic Park franchise considering it took four years to get the sequel to the first right and of course three years for this and then oh my gosh 14 years for the sequel to Jurassic Park 3 I guess sequel slash reboot um hmm. sure yeah but still 14 years yeah well, Jurassic Park 3 holds a 5.9 on IMDb. I've definitely heard the rage on uh, Jurassic Park 3 being not the favorite of any of the Jurassic Parks uh, before Jurassic World came out. But yeah, that's uh, that's surprisingly low. I was six years old when this movie came out, actually. And I did catch it. They played it on AMC. I was living in San Antonio, Texas at the time. I remember staying up late one night watching it with my dad, and I just thought this movie was so awesome. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in this movie for me. I loved it as a kid, and good times. I had seen the other one. Uh, if you go back and listen to our previous podcasts in this retrospective series, you'll hear me kind of reminisce a little bit about uh, being at a th- one of our one of the people at our church they had built a theater room in their house with rumble seats and everything really incredible theater and a really incredible experience for a 6 year old that's where i first was introduced to Jurassic Park and then i saw it the third one in my own home on tv so so fairly nostalgic for me but i tried to take off any nostalgia i had for this movie when reviewing it this time and i put on my ssg goggles to really determine whether this movie holds up or not. Yeah. And so here's my experience with Jurassic Park 3. I told, I said I'd tell this story uh, back in the first podcast for Jurassic Park. So back when it came out on VHS, before I actually never really knew about Jurassic Park, my aunt owned it on VHS, if you remember that. Uh, so she gave it to me to borrow when I was, how old was I? I think eight nine ten i was pretty young when my aunt let me borrow this movie i was surprised that she that my it scooted past my mom but that's a different story so i think i watched this movie oh geez probably five times in the time that i had it in my possession from my aunt 
And I remember one time specifically, I had a babysitter over. Uh, I had a babysitter that was uh, watching my brother and I, and we watched it. And the whole movie, I think she was like, oh, oh, oh my. Because I guess she was just shocked that we were able to watch this stuff. It was really fun for me. Um, now, looking, I don't think I've actually watched it since that moment. So it's been a number of years since I've seen Jurassic Park 3. I've seen the first one multiple times. I think I watched the second one uh, before we reviewed it once before that. So, yeah, I don't think I've returned to number three since probably when I was like eight or nine. It's been a number of years for me. The last time I watched this movie was right before the release of Jurassic World. I did oh. kind of come back, watch it a little bit. It's been a couple years now. I believe that's the reason why I watched it. And I'm going to save my thoughts for the review. Mm -hmm. But regardless, like Alan said earlier, this is in the fans' mind of the series, of the audience of these movies. This is the lowest rated. Cinema score, the audiences gave it a B-. minus. I mean, it's not too bad, but not great compared to the other two, at least. Considering the new movie Rampage got an A minus. Oof. Yeah. Yikes. Anyways. <laughs> I mean, Cinema Score, I will say this Cinema Score is kind of cool to see what the actual audience thinks of the movie. That does not reflect the quality of the movie in any right. way, but just what the audience thinks of it. And it's very interesting that B plus, I mean, not a terrible score, but B not, minus. Not great. Or sorry, B minus, yeah. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. He called it a nice little thrill machine, not as awe-inspiring as the first film or as elaborate as the second. Hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. It, I found that to be very interesting because yeah. Roger Ebert is normally not that generous to give this type of a movie that type of a score. But I think I I can kind of see it in a way because it's much more pared down than the first two. It's really not trying as hard. It's just trying to create those thrilling sequences, right? but still trying to maintain somewhat of a story and characters. Whereas, well, go and listen to the other podcast so you can hear our thoughts. We won't get, won't get right. back into it. Yeah, yeah. We'll, and we'll also get into those kind of thoughts a bit later as well as to right. how it stands up to the other two up to this point. This movie had a budget of $93 million, which in today's money would be a $131 million budget, which is like semi-big, but not really. It's decent. The, I mean, for the time, I would say it's pretty big. Because it came yes. out yeah, pretty early in the early 2000s. This, this still is a pretty sizable budget. Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in 2001, yes, yes. this is a, a great budget. It's clearly got a higher budget than the previous two right and honestly the budget is really once you adjust for inflation it's honestly not that far off from the budget of jurassic world because right. jurassic world has a budget of 150 and with inflation this movie's budget today would be 131 so like 19 million more i mean it's really not that much right right now, what is interesting, too, looking at some of the background stuff to the script of this movie, mm -hmm. uh, because they started filming without a finished script. Yes. 
So, yeah. And I, if I'm not mistaken, they also ended with an unfinished script. They kind of filmed and filmed until uh, they essentially reached the end of what they considered to be the end. Um, and then the rough edit was... The rough edit was 96 minutes, and they only shaved off about eight, which yeah. is quite uncommon for a movie to only shave off so little time from its final cut. It, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. They did have... They went through a number of scripts, and I'll talk about that here in just a minute. But they did have a finished script, and they threw it out five weeks before filming. Oof. And they totally just changed directions. They kind of had some of the same ideas going for it, but they just pared everything down by a lot and made this a much smaller movie. And it makes sense this movie is that short because the plot is really basic. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I know we talked about, or our last podcast was, well, we met the last, no, yeah, the last podcast and Ready Player One, we talked about how those scripts have pretty, uh, pretty simple storylines, um, but it's not really about the storyline, it's more about the adventure inside the storyline that really makes it enjoyable here. This one, yeah, you want to talk about simple plot, this, this is simple, the movie did really well at the box office, though, so audiences still liked it. It didn't do as well as the previous two. Nevertheless, it still made back its budget. Domestically, $181 million. Foreign, $187 for a worldwide total of $368 million. For a $93 million dollar budget, did great. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, it doubled its budget. Um, it could, I think it really should have done much better, but... They still got some money off of it, which is always a good thing. Yeah. And, of course, these movies are pretty good at being in the summer blockbuster time, but making yeah. sure there's, like, no competition surrounding them. This movie opened at number one with 50.7 million opening. It's pretty good. And it had no competition. The only other movie that was number one was called America's Sweethearts. I don't know a thing about it. I didn't care to look into it. Yeah, I I haven't heard about that one either. No, and it came far below this movie in second place. And the reason that was even second place is because everything had been out for a while. Uh, Legally Blonde, Cats and Dogs, The Fast and the Furious, Scary Movie 2, Shrek, Laura Croft, and even Steven Spielberg's movie AI, Artificial Intelligence. Those had been out for a long time. Right. And they were not going to be a threat at all. Sometimes movies will be out for a long time, most recently like Black Panther, and it'll still be coming in at number three or... Possibly even number one because right. it's so big. And none of these movies, uh, some of these movies, yeah, have still stuck around. They're still memorable, but they they weren't like juggernauts or anything. Right. Yeah. The once again for the third time in a row, we've this Jurassic Park is released on a date where it doesn't have much competition, and that just gives it a lot of a, a layup essentially because it gets so much money being really the only new and. Uh, popular movie in the theaters at that point i mean it's it's a good business move obviously yes so this movie is the lowest grossing jurassic park film by a lot 
And it also has the lowest opening. When you adjust for inflation, it's $7 million behind the first one. So audiences, mm. it had been, I believe, about eight years or so since the very first one. So right. it's hard to do sequels and still have audiences jazzed up about them, especially when they loved the first. And then you it's hard to get people jazzed up nearly a decade later. But right. we will be talking with our next installment. It's not going to be next week, but we will be talking with the next installment, Jurassic World. Um, they somehow figured out magically how to get people extremely jazzed up because, okay, I'm going to leave you in suspense. I'm not going to say any more, but wow. Come back next month. That's right. Okay, Alan, what'd you think of this trailer for the movie? Did it make you want to jump into the theaters and go see Jurassic Park 3? I don't know. I mean, I found it to be fine, I suppose, but I don't know. It never really jazzed me like the other two had um at least from what i remember from the other two i feel the exact same way i thought the trailer was fairly cheap doesn't get me excited lots of action but it doesn't really look cool yeah it looks really different from the other movies but it just something about it looks cheap it looks different this has a much more dvd quality and the way it's cut with the voiceover very early 2000s you can really tell this was right. that weird period in between the millennia change but not not a good trailer i would probably wait for i might go see it but not opening weekend yeah yeah it feels more modern i guess i could say uh which is not really a the greatest compliment i can give it 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 feels like this is it get it's the, of course the in between time of back when trailers were pretty ambiguous with how they showed off they were essentially getting you excited for what could be a movie whereas the trailers now are showing you this is what the movie is about so this one's kind of in the middle of that transition yeah i agree it's eh, it's not it doesn't really get me that excited for it i agree with you Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the scripts this movie went through because there was a number of ideas they were playing with and kind of made it a little hard for this movie to get going. And I think one of the reasons that it ended up being as short as it was and they only shaved off eight minutes in one of the special features on the disc, uh, Johnston said we had a release date. We threw the script, the script five weeks at five weeks out before shooting. Nevertheless, the release date mandated we had to get the movie done. And this was universal. You don't mess around with Spielberg and Universal and Kathleen Kennedy and them. Right. No. Right. So that's what they had to just do what they had to do. Okay. Mm. Let's go and talk about the ideas. Spielberg's okay. idea yeah, was kind of weird. His idea was Alan Grant snuck onto the island to study the dinos and lived in a tree like robinson crusoe okay yes and johnston said that doesn't sound like grant at all grant didn't want to have anything to do with the island didn't want to come back spielberg's kind of idea was a little wonky but then spielberg immediately you know pretty much had nothing to do with the project of course he executive produced but this this is not his idea at all so that was just tonight. That was a concept he was playing with. And that, the first, yeah, 
that wouldn't have worked, I don't think. No. The first script that was written was written by Craig Rosenberg. Uh, he is not uh, a part of this movie. He uh, They eventually got rid of... It, he, he, he was let go from the project. He hmm. wrote... It was about teenagers marooned on the island, and Johnston said it read like a bad episode of Friends. I believe yeah. it. Uh, teenagers as the main stars in a Jurassic Park movie? Um, no. Um, no, that would not have worked. The film's second script involved, I believe they're the pterodactyl creatures. They escaped from Isla Sorna, and they caused a spate of mysterious killings on the mainland, which was to be investigated by Alan Grant and a number of other characters, including Billy Brennan, a naturalist named Simone, a tufted military attaché, wealthy Paul Robbie, and Robbie's teenage son, Miles. Grant's group crash lands on the island while a parallel investigation is being carried out on the mainland. The aviary sequence and laboratory set piece were initially much longer and more complex, including Velociraptors stealthily entering the hatchery as the team spends the night there. Sets, costumes, and props were built for this version. That actually could have worked, I feel. I mean, if they did it right, of course. They would have that actually reminds worked. me of a scene from Jurassic World that we'll get into uh, next month. Yes. Well, and that was still not even... They even threw that script out. Oh, and man. So the next script was about a few families going on vacation in the Galapagos Islands. And the family, for some reason, had to take two planes. So basically, the kids were on one plane. I can't even understand that. And the parents were on the other plane. And the kids' plane crashed on the island. And so kind of like this movie, but more people involved. Honestly, I thought this was a stupid idea. And I'm pretty sure that's why Johnston threw it out. Only barely over a month before they had to start shooting and then he was like let's just kind of let's just really pare it down make it one family make it much more simpler and let's just kind of go along with it <laughs> yeah that just feels contrived to me that yeah that i think the second the the second to last one out of the ones that you've mentioned so far would have worked the best if they did something right with it so before we get into the plot of this movie i just want to let you know listeners we will be spoiling jurassic park 3 so if, if you haven't seen jurassic park 3 or if you just haven't visited it in a long time and you would like to then make sure to click pause right now go watch the movie and then we will be right here waiting for you and come back and click play but without further ado let's talk about jurassic park 3 so jurassic park 3 sees the return of ali Oh, Alan Grant and Ellie, I don't remember her last name. She's not much of a factor in this movie, but it is really nice to see them come back for this movie. And it was kind of interesting in one of the special features, Sam Neill felt like he was missing out because they didn't ask him back for Jurassic Park 2. So he was really glad to be asked back for this. So the movie opens with... Uh, Alan and Ellie, you think they're back together, but they're not. She has married a man and has a, at least one or two children. And her husband works for the State Department. And Alan talks a lot about velociraptors. A lot about velociraptors. Yeah, a lot. 
and we (laughs) we find out he is still back at dig sites this time in montana and he has a young protege named billy and alan and billy are approached by the kirby's played by william h macy and tay leone and they want to hire him on the premise of him basically being a tour guide as they just fly over the island because they're these big thrill seekers they do everything together they even have their tickets on pre-order for the first commercial flight to the moon which has still not happened that's not a thing and once they do the flying they immediately ignore alan and they land and we come to find out what we saw in the very beginning of the movie which was uh, a young boy and a man kind of doing this parasailing thing uh they crashed and landed on the island well we find out how that's connected that is their son and they have chartered this plane they've broken many laws in order to come find him they felt that alan grant they thought he was there on the island already well he's never been to that island before that's isla nublar is where he was this is site b which is where the second movie took place as well so basically the movie is just them trying to find their son eric and eventually they do find eric eric is now little jungle boy resourceful man who saves him from a pack of velociraptors saves alan from a pack of velociraptors they ultimately reunite they have to fight the spinosaurus they have to fight the pterodactyls they even have to confront the raptors again and they are rescued by the navy and the marines they're a part of the same branch of the military doesn't make any sense (laughs) and we we find out ellie Walker or is her last name walker i don't know uh it just feels right possibly i i'm pretty sure it would have changed from the first one to this one because she got herself hitched Mm. anyways she apparently i believe it's because her husband has been doing work with the state department that is how she is able to call in these military forces it's never really explained in the movie they come and rescue them and they fly off into the sunset with the now peaceful pterodactyls also billy lives yeah that's right somehow we'll talk about it so that is jurassic park (laughs) three all right let's jump into it okay right off the bat i'm a little bit confused because the first one so so far in the two that we reviewed there have been specific themes for each island the first one has the most iconic theme of course and everyone knows that everyone knows that one the second one has a different one has a different theme to the island because it's, it's not the same it's not island it's not Ila nublar anymore it's Ila sorna Do you and mean so it music? had its own theme what you mean musically? Yes, musically. Okay. Yeah. So then we get to this one, and then we return back to Isla Sorna, but it, they reuse the same theme from the first island, which is which confused me because this at first was like, okay, we're back to the new island, I suppose. And then I remembered, no, that's Isla Nublar that has that theme. That, sh- that was just me. I, I was very disappointed with the score in this movie. 
and even the John Williams score, I feel, doesn't really work as well as it did in the others. It was much more magical. This just feels like retread. And the score at other times, it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. I There are many scenes where I'm like, what, what kind of score is this? Like some weird romantic Gone with the Wind type score. And I'm like, yeah. this is weird it, it it doesn't fit it's a it's a bad score yeah for this movie. it's there are moments where i do like it the theme the main theme that's returning in this one although still confusing it's nice to kind of return to it but you're right it doesn't it's different this time it doesn't have that john williams magic touch to it it feels different um there are moments where i thought the score works pretty well but yeah for the most part it's fine i guess it's Really nothing to shake a stick at. That's that's kind of sad to say that because this is coming off of John Williams and it's very heavily like uh taking off of his style, but yeah, it's eh. Which is sad. So, I feel that the opening of this movie just has a different feeling because oh, the yes. title sequence Yeah, I, I thought you would feel the same way. Because the title sequence we have the claws ripping through to show the number three. It's much more kind of violent and there's a new aspect ratio, much different camera work, and it just aesthetically has a much different feel. I think the I do believe there is some green screen going on here. Oh yes. Uh, I found it to be quite noticeable in a, in a couple of shots. It was fairly noticeable. Some of the wider shots, which were not green screen, mm-hmm. uh, of course, were fine. But some of the close-up stuff, yeah, it's not not really the best. Granted, it was 2001. I will say there are shots later on, like in the pterodactyl cage. They did build a lot of this stuff they built as real sets. But some of it... And some real animatronics. Some of yeah. it, like when Eric is running away from the pterodactyl babies, that was all green screen and Billy hang gliding. I thought that was actually fairly well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This opening scene, you can I I could tell. I found it to be quite noticeable the use of a green screen, mostly like you said in the medium shots when they were already up in the air and stuff like that. There are times where you you could just see it. There are times where it is utilized pretty well and it doesn't feel like they aren't using the green screen. It's just very possible that they aren't. I mean, I understand why, because you need to get a good shot of them in the air and it's hard to do that when you're boating. But it doesn't, yeah, they just don't really connect. It, you could just tell that they which parts were filmed in the studio and which parts were filmed uh, around Hawaii, which is where the, most of this movie was shot at. So, yeah, that's not very great, unfortunately. So... Yeah, there are moments that when Billy does hang glide, there are moments where it does look good. There are moments where I'm like, that hang glider looks quite CG. Um, but but yeah, no, I didn't actually I did notice that with uh, Eric when he was jumping from those pillars with the babies, I actually didn't know that was green screen, but uh, that I didn't notice that. So yeah, this movie just all around beginning. It's a completely different film. I I know off the bat this is not Spielberg anymore. This is somebody completely different with a different vision of Jurassic Park. I don't really know how I feel about that either. Because the other two open, at least the first one opens with these nature sounds. And it really sets the sets a darker tone than what you were expecting. 
And this one is almost completely different. It's just like, oh, look at how much fun we can have. And look at how intense this is going to be. And it feels like, I don't know. It feels like it's showing its hand too quick uh, before it actually is effective. I don't know if it's because it is now 2001. It's a new millennium. Maybe they're trying to just make it a little a little more crazy, a little bigger. That mm-hmm. would be my guess. We'll talk about some of the camera work here, and it's just a much different feel. And you're exactly right. You can tell this is not Spielberg at all. Like, there, to me, there's nothing about this that says Spielberg. This, and, and that makes sense because he was just executive producing. He really didn't have much of a hand in this. This is a totally different feel. I have a question. Okay. When they were doing the parasailing thing and they're like, we're going to crash, we're going to crash. I thought that was like really dumb how afraid they were. Because even if they ran aground, it wasn't going to, they would still be lifted up in the air by the wind, by inertia. And they would still have time. It wasn't like this clock running out situation. It, I I don't get it. I don't get it. My question is, what did you think? yeah so the question um yeah you're right this is pretty silly uh i didn't like it either they decide to abandon ship essentially and release the rope and fly away into the island because they're smart you know yeah yeah it's silly it's just set up for something later which we actually okay this is actually the part that i that i think is really stupid is we get this set up and we don't hear about it until 30 minutes into the movie. And so it makes the scene feel like, okay, so what? You know? Right. Whereas in the second one, we did have an opening scene with the family, but it takes the movie no time at all to kind of just say, oh, yeah, by the way, this is how, this is what happened with the opening scene. And this is why it's propelling the plot forward. Whereas with this one, we have to wait for a really long time to get those answers, which is, I don't know, bad script writing? Bad I editing? Th- I think it does kind of lessen the mystery because if we would have cut it out and they would have, we, I would have bought that this family just wanted, or the husband and wife, the Kirby's just wanted to take a aerial tour of the island. Right. And then once things start getting weird where they're saying, do you see anything? Do you see anything? Not including the dinosaurs. And they've got this kind of weird crew with them. And they start getting kind of irate with their situation. That would have been a much better hook. Because we kind of figured out fairly quickly what's going on. Right. Clearly this guy, clearly these people are lost. Clearly they're looking for him. If we didn't know people were lost, then this would have been much in, much more interesting. Because we get, they said, oh yeah, we've got permission from Costa Rica and the US or whoever. We've got lots of permission to do all this stuff. And then on the... I don't know, whatever it's called, the radio, when they're flying, they're saying, you're in a no-fly zone, get out of there. There's lots of more hints that would have made this movie a much better hook and much more interesting, but they're kind of spoon-feeding us with the setup. Yes, you are very correct. This movie does like the spoon-feed. I'll say this, to be fair, they, the, the deeper themes that were prevalent in the first one and the semi-deeper themes that were there in the second one are completely gone. This one's essentially just we have to save our son from the dinosaur island. And that's essentially <laughs> the whole premise of the whole movie. And that 
kind of takes out some of the magic because the last two were just so interesting to see, okay, this is what the movie is saying because it has, it's the, the biggest arc of Jurassic Park is humans should never mess with nature. The first one explores this in a very, very great way. And the second one kind of does. This one just scraps it completely and says, oh, this would be fun. So, yeah, we don't have those themes here anymore, which is unfortunate because that's what made the last two so enjoyable is how they explored those ideas. This one, now nah, they're, they're gone. We don't need those anymore to make a fun movie. Okay, so what did you think about Ellie and Grant not being together? At first, I was like, well, that's stupid. And then I thought some more and I said, well, that's okay. I can buy it. They were only, it was only implied that they had a relationship in the first one and never really came into fruition if they actually did. So I could buy it. I was fine with that. I was fine with it that they didn't really have a relationship in this one and that she kind of just moved on. I really enjoyed how they still have a connection, like a really deep friendship connection. And that even though it's clear that Grant is not happy about the situation and that he wishes that he was the husband, but it didn't mess with me at all. I thought it was okay. Uh, I just wish Laura Dern was either in it more or just wasn't in it at all because the role that she has is odd. It didn't bother me too much. I I don't think I'll ever be okay with them not getting together because I really liked them because I think that was like a really great bonding experience for them in the first movie. It just tied them together and I just couldn't believe it. I don't understand why they would set them up as this kind of, in a way, this kind of power couple that wasn't really firm in their commitments, but I just couldn't really see them going separate ways and just being like, well, you know, it's nice knowing you. We'll keep in touch. I never liked that. I will say I'm glad they picked this route over in an earlier draft of the script. They were still together, but they were in the process of splitting up. And oh, yeah. I don't um, want to see that happen. And ooh. the reason they weren't a couple anymore is all Johnston. He said, I don't want to see them as a couple anymore. For one thing, I don't think they look like a couple. It would be uncomfortable to still see them together. And Laura Dern doesn't look like she's aged for the past 15 years. So That's fair. I, yeah. Okay, so I do feel like Ellie's husband is just kind of shoved into this storyline. Oh, you're right. He doesn't do anything except for this opening scene just to say, hey, I'm married to some dude. And to me, this felt very strange. Because he's meeting her husband, he's meeting her husband for the first time, right? And it has been, if we're going to take the timeline literally from the literal release of the first movie to this one, it's been about eight years. So I don't know how long they were together after the first movie. She clearly has young children, but that's not an indication of how long she's been married. But regardless. This seems like it's been, they haven't seen each other in person in maybe three to five years, would right. be my guess. May have kept in contact over the phone, but I I never really liked, I agree with you, I never really liked how Laura Dern is introduced into this movie and then she has dropped off until the very end. Even yeah. when I was younger, since I had seen the first one, I was like, wait, what? Where? It just, I don't know why... I believe from what I read, her sh they shot all of her scenes in like a day. I could something. believe it. 
I could believe it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just didn't care for it. Yeah. But I just I just wish that even okay, even though I was more I'm more okay with it than you are, that they are not together, I do wish that they had they were still good friends. Not in the sense that they share good chemistry, but that they had they had more screen time together. Because right. with we, what we do get, they do have a still a strong bond, and it's clear. I just wish that they spent more time together on screen because they only have one scene together, and that's it. I mean, they do talk later on in the movie, but yeah. essentially just that opening scene when we are introduced to Sam Neill's character, that's about it. We don't really get much more past that. Unfortunately, which is, I wish they had more of that because the relationship was always just the most, one was always interesting in the first one. I would love to see Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum reunite for this new movie. I know Jeff Goldblum will be in it. I don't know about the other two. Yeah, honestly, I'd rather see them in this movie than probably Chris Pratt and. Dallas Howard, whatever her name is. Yeah. Dallas Bryce Howard. I just, these characters were great in the first movie. I thought it was weird. They split them up for, they like did Justin Malcolm in the second, and then they brought these two barely back for the third. That's why I would like to see him come back for the fifth. If not the fifth, I guess, then the sixth. But I, I don't know. I guess it's kind of a reoccurring pattern because... Like I just laid out the pattern for you right there. And now with this new one, it's going to be Goldblum. Watch Sam and Laura come back for the six and Goldblum won't be in it. Just watch. Right. right. That would, I could see that happening. Yeah. That could stay happening. They're definitely pulling a Star Wars here uh, where they're reintroducing everything uh, to a new generation. But at the same time, it's still trying to keep those older characters alive. Right. Well, alive, technically speaking. So... Okay, I thought it was really dramatic how Grant was talking about the raptors. I know in the first one they were talking about the raptors when he was scaring the little kid, but this talk is so dramatic with the camera close-ups and the odd fade cut. It's weird. And again, heavy foreshadowing. This movie we're going to see is the king of foreshadowing. There is not a scene used or an object used that is not play in later on. It's oh, yes. crazy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Dr. Grant is obsessed with raptors in this movie. Yeah. So much so that when you get in the plane, he has a dream and oh. a raptor is talking to him. Oh. I think Sam Neill has a little bit of, a, of an obsession issue. Um, but beyond that, you're right. Raptors are... So, they're talked about so much in this movie, and I wish they were given a little bit more screen time, but it's... Dr. Grant, I think, needs to chill a little bit, because every time he talks about dinosaurs, it's almost always about the raptors. I feel like they were given uh, just enough screen time, but his obsession with raptors is kind of unfounded, I think. He, yeah, and and the dream, the dream sequence with the Raptors sets the tone for this movie. This shows you this is just going to be a movie that doesn't take itself seriously, even though it tries to be this really kind of violent, scary movie. But it comes across as silly and unbelievable, whereas the first one genuinely scary and realistic. Not so much with this one. 
Right. The thing we're missing, and we've talked about this multiple times in the last two, is the fact that we have that Spielberg level of presenting the audience with with information and how he gives it to you in pieces. This movie doesn't do that. And it kind of just gives you everything all at once and says, here, deal with it. And unfortunately, when we get into those situations where if that was utilized, it would have been so, it would have been so effective. But because we're missing that, a lot of the movie is, the movie's suspense is lost, unfortunately, which is really sad because Jurassic Park is known for having some pretty unique and interesting scenes that are intense. This scene where they're leaving parting ways is probably the only time the movie makes me feel anything. And honestly, I felt a little sad when there's the soft theme playing over this scene and Alan says he's the last breed of his kind. And Ellie says he's the best. And that that kind of got me in the feels and the heartstrings a little bit. That That's really the only time in the movie, though. So that was well handled. Yeah, that's really the only time in the movie that anything like that happens, unfortunately. I mean, it's... I don't know. This... Uh, the calling... Okay. There's an issue with characters here. A big one. Because... They're all really flat. Even Sam Neill's character, Dr. Grant, is pretty flat. It's sad because in the first one, we had such interesting characters. And everyone that was a character felt, okay, there's a reason why they're here. I never felt that with this one. Alan Grant shouldn't have even come back, in my own opinion. Because there's really no reason for him to be here other than... Because we can get Sam Neill back, and Sam Neill was in the original. Which is shouldn't be happening. I don't think I could stand this movie or watch it without him, though. I understand Oh, you're so right, you're, though. Yes, I understand what you're saying, where it's just like, why? But honestly, I felt the same way with uh, Ian Malcolm in the second one. That's very true. It's like, the the whole setup was all based upon his emotions he essentially blackmailed him in a way he's like hey by the way your girlfriend's on the island if you don't want her to die then you better go after her but i i even thought the whole kind of setup for getting malcolm on the island so and once again the setup for this movie is pretty much the same very similar setup for the yes just like the first movie because Grant gets money for his research. That's what gets him to go on the island. So they're showing he's not personally greedy, but it's just a little silly how emphatic they make his character about not going. But when he gets money, then it's like, okay, we'll just fly over it for a little while. It's a little similar because in the first one, Hammond, they're like, we ain't going. And Hammond says, um... I will give you, I'll fund your research for the next five years. Very similar. Kirby is like, I'll pay you this money. They don't even ask any credentials for this guy. Grant and them just look extremely gullible. Yeah, this is where I have my biggest issue with Alan Grant's character is that he kind of operates on blind faith. Uh, Because he's offered money for his research, that is just his ticket in, and so he decides, okay, well, now I should do it. Which, ne- which, after the events of the first one, I feel like he would never take a deal like that ever again. 
because of what happened in the first one. But now, even okay, even though we're going to ease uh, ease the Sorna, which is not Nublar, but even then, he knows that it is Site B. He, I feel like there would be no, and even he says this, there is no chance in, on Earth or in Heaven that I would return to that island. And once he's offered money, he just goes, oh, okay, and then just runs with it. Before he begins to question, okay, well, who are these Kirbys really? Because we find out later Kirby Enterprises doesn't exist. Not only that, but essentially the entire reason why they're on the island in the first place is a complete lie, which we find out about 30 minutes in, which is where I begin to really question this movie's script because never once in this opening before the truth is revealed do we ever get the sense that maybe something bad is happening at least not with the kirby's we do get the scene with the two henchmen getting hired and they're blowing up a plane but at least with the kirby's i never felt that they were ever divorced and that come to find out that's a big player in their relationship and this just feels off just in general because in the first one um there's a reason they're they're excited to go not just because they're getting funding but they actually get to see a real life creature of what they're digging up in this one alan grant just offered money and he goes okay and then next thing he knows he's on the island it doesn't feel right it feels so contrived yeah this is a totally contrived plot because they're setting up really one-dimensional characters that are easily persuaded and knocked down everybody is stupid everybody fails at everything they do fairly quickly and it's just a weird plot and we do get on the island fast like I felt we got on the island fast in the second one. We get on it even faster in this one because they know. Right. I guess they feel like audiences just want to see, you know, the creatures fight and get into the action, which is true because certain movies, I do expect that. Now, the first movie had a great story. Now, movies more like Rampage, which we just both saw opening weekend, we just wanted to see stuff fight. We didn't want a story. And when they try to introduce a story, it messes up the entire movie because that's not what we're here for that it doesn't work you can't put a story in something that goofy well that's kind of what they're doing here because they're setting up a similar premise i feel and well we're but let's just jump into the island okay uh what do you think of this brand new dinosaur the spinosaurus well, I can see where they got the uh, Andominus Rex from Jurassic World, but aside from that, I don't, I don't know, because the first thing, well, the second thing, I guess I should say, the second thing, the second thing we see the dinosaur do is essentially kill the T Rex, the dinosaur that's kind of been like the king of Jurassic Park since the first one and in this movie all of the dreams of seeing that T-Rex do its thing again are completely crushed which hmm, 
I don't know. He looks cool. I will agree with that. It looks nice to ease, nice to look at because he does look very, very threatening with that giant spine on his back. That is a pretty cool design. But, hmm, it feels like just incentive to heighten everything in this movie. Make it bigger, make it more grand, and it doesn't really work. It's a nice threat that just keeps returning from time to time for an exciting scene, but, I mean, I would have loved to have this utilized better or written in more coherently. I agree, because basically it is conveniently stalking them. Yes. I don't know how or why, but at times when there needs to be action or there just needs to be a conflict, this is the main adversary. Now, the raptors are kind of a secondary adversary because they just keep popping up because of a reason we'll get into in just a minute. But I I think the dinosaur looks awesome. Mm-hmm. I think he looks cooler than the T... Well, not the animatronic. I just mean the concept, like the design in general. Yes. Yeah. I think it's cooler than a T-Rex. I don't think it's a... It's not a real dinosaur. This one is uh, genetically created. And we don't really understand how it came to fruition, but we just know there's a pretty brief dropped line later on that I've always missed until the viewing of this movie when Billy says this Spinosaurus wasn't, well, no, I guess it wouldn't be a genetic creation because Grant and Billy know its official name. So I take back what I just said. It's apparently in this movie universe, uh, maybe in real life. I don't know. It's a real dinosaur. But yep. Billy says that wasn't on Injun's list of what they were creating. And Grant says, yeah, it makes you wonder what else they were up to. Right. That doesn't really pay off or explain anything at all. It just lets you know that Injun had more up its sleeve than it was letting on. And I think the move, the fourth movie really takes that and runs with it. Now, I know there's been a number of questions over the years since two and three take place on the same island, where was the Spinosaurus in the second film? And from what I gathered, I guess the reason that is most often given is they were on two different parts of the island. So the second one, they technically take place on the same island, but they neither movie treks too far around the island so they're just in different locations which makes sense it would be kind of interesting if they came back to this island for a sequel and there was something even more menacing possibly lurking around maybe some awesome sea creature anyways i guess that's the reason for it i can buy that because yep. we we visit that giant bird cage and a number of other things so um and we don't get that in the second one Right. The locations right. look pr- pretty different because this movie is like a tropical rainforest, whereas we don't really get that. We just get a lot of wide open spaces, some forest areas, but not really that tropical, it seems like. Okay, anyways, yeah. um, what do you, okay, so what do you think of this initial attack scene when they're in the plane? I've got some things to say about it, but I want to know what you think about it i think it's really stupid how they go down so easily it doesn't make sense they're taking off and he's like we're going down 
why you were literally taking off what happened just because you got blood splattered on the window okay but i want to hear what you think about the animatronics the plane crashing them rolling around i want to hear it all you remember in the end of our cloverfield review when i when i mentioned that the helicopter scene however exciting getting the setup for that scene was quite weak because the monster just attacks the helicopter I I have the exact same feelings, except that the scene that comes after it, the helicopter crash scene uh, that happens after the monster attacks is not nearly as exciting as in Cloverfield. Okay. I can understand the fact that they have to pull up and everything because they almost hit the guy and the blood splatters on the windshield and he has to pull up early. I can see that the plane then has to re-land because it didn't get enough, uh, it didn't get enough speed for it to officially take off. I can buy that. What I don't buy is the fact that after they take off, the Spinosaurus says, no, you come back here and hits the plane so that way it has to fall back into the tree. It... This goes into areas where... It, contrived is a big key word for Jurassic Park 3. This scene and many scenes to come, many scenes to come just keep going. They go on longer than they ever should have and so many things happen. Like the front end like the front end of the nose of the plane comes off when they get caught in the tree. Why? And then the, of course that gives room for the Spinosaurus man to stick his nose in there and take the two pilots or at least one of the pilots. And then he rams he rams his nozzle into the side of the plane and doesn't do much after that. It just feels like the Spinosaurus is... its The Spinosaurus... Okay, he's made up to be pretty smart, apparently. But my problem about this is... It feels like they're making up an intense situation for it to be intense. But the problem is they're not executing it the way that Spielberg would, which makes it not intense. And it's really sad because this is a cool dinosaur design, but it feels like an unneeded action scene. Like, that's fine. If they get trapped in the island, okay, I can live with that. But we have to have a scene explaining how they got trapped on the island officially. And it was the Spinosaurus attacked them. No, that that's not how this works in Jurassic Park. In Jurassic Park, at least in the first one, it was a human... It was a human um, who had trapped everyone there. And the second one, the dinosaur got out in the city and it doesn't feel Jurassic Park. That's the problem. I also have a lot of issues with this plane sequence because it's fairly hokey. So the animatronic looks bad. I don't believe it. I don't believe it looks real. The animatronic in the T-Rex in the first Jurassic Park Honestly, I never doubted that. I mean, of of course I know it's not real, but honestly, in the movie, I ne- it never took me out of the movie. I'm like, that is a real Tyrannosaurus Rex. That's amazing. Whereas right. this, I can tell it's not real. It just it just has this very kind of plasticky look about it, kind of like a toy. The camera work is really bad. Got some weird shaking camera going on, like when the dinosaur screams. William H. Macy doesn't look terrified at all when he sees somebody gets yeah. eaten. Just some terrible acting from him. And th- when the plane falls, they're at the back of the plane. And the back of the plane is crushed. So they're dead. 
But then when it sees them fall, you know, they're all way far away from it and rolling around really silly-like. And this scene is not scary. Whereas the T-Rex scene in the first movie is scary. I do like the wide shots of the Spinosaurus. And when the Spinosaurus and T-Rex fight, that's every little boy's dream to see something that awesome. And I loved that scene. And I like how this new dino is the king. It's really cool. And it's actually a fairly well done mix of an animatronic and CGI creature fighting. So it's a problematic scene. I'm going to take the opposite view on the Spinosaurus versus the T-Rex. I know that there are a number number of people that do have big issues with this scene. What? Um... So for me, the reason why I really don't enjoy this scene is because in the last two movies, the T-Rex was built up to be the king, you know. And I mean, that's not, I. it's fine that the king is no longer the king. He's been dethroned to this one. I, I don't have a problem with that. My problem is they take him out so quick in this movie that it feels like I've been lied to. Because this is the first scene we see a T-Rex in. And the first scene we see the T-Rex and he's killed off. And that it makes you feel like I've been lied to. And that's a common thing with me with this movie is that it does things without telling me. And then I realize late and then later it explains this is what happened. And it feels like the movie purposefully gave me a red herring for the sake of the story. In this one, if they would have built up the T-Rex getting defeated by the Spinosaurus, maybe had one or two fights between them or something or had the t-rex in there more and and built up to this moment i would have accepted it but the problem is we just jump right in the first time we see the t-rex it fights the spinosaurus and it's it's dead that's it and being the essentially the uh cover boy of the last two movies it feels like i'm cheated because out of nowhere the t-rex comes and it's gone next thing i know the next scene i don't know Mm, i don't know about this So there could be a lot more things that I could say because this movie honestly is a lot of filler. Just trying to get from, just trying to find Eric, getting from point A to point B, it's all fairly pointless. There's just a lot of bad dialogue and just the chemistry between the characters doesn't work. This is a weird ragamuffin group. Uh, I really don't care for the scenes between William H. Macy and Tay Leone, where they're rediscovering or rekindling their love for each other. I don't believe it one second. It's really silly. And William H. Macy does a good job playing an idiot. And some of his stuff is funny. Some of it is just really dumb. And uh, I do like the line when they get to the engine building. When Tay Leone says, this is how you make dinosaurs, and Grant says, no, this is how you play God. That was a nice line. And this is a fairly good scene. Most of this movie is just comprised of action sequences, but we have to get to those sequences, and you can definitely tell because it's just them tramping along until we get there. And I like the raptor call. I think it doesn't. it's not believable that three people trip in the running of the herd, and they don't get hurt. I mean, literally three people fall and they are fine. Yeah. 
and I, I do think the raptor scene where they're up in the trees is actually it's fairly intense with him ripping the claws into his back and trying to snap her head off. So pretty good scene. Yeah. So I think my one of my other issues is the utilization of the raptors in this movie because they're made out to be very, very smart. And I do believe, yes, they are very smart creatures. We've seen it happen before with the last two movies where they, since they pre- since they travel in herds, uh, they can outwit their prey. And we see that in the first one with the clever girl scene and then in the second one with Injun just running through that field, right? So obviously, yes, they are smart creatures. But what I don't buy is when Laura Dern's up in a tree and somehow they lay a trap for her. Uh, how? <laughs> That's what I want to know is just how did they set a trap for Laura Dern? You mean Taylioni? You, what? You mean Taylioni? I, that's what I meant to say. Yes. Uh, Mrs. Kirby. I'll say that. Amanda. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. Uh, uh, yeah, I would yeah. agree. The Raptors are a little too smart. I think it doesn't make any sense. They did set a trap in the first movie. Right. But it made more sense because they explained how you're focused on the Raptor right in front of your face, but that's when they come in from the side and the Raptors right. were, worked really well here. So when I was a kid, and even for the longest time, I thought somehow the raptors had figured out how to manipulate Mr. Udesky by somehow moving his arm to make them think he was still alive. But now I get he was still alive the whole time. They just made it like he was just enough alive, preying on their emotions. They think they're going to come and rescue him, and that's when they strike, except they strike too quickly, which makes the raptors not that smart. Right. And... Then we see the raptor uh, pretty brutally snap his neck. Uh, I think this movie, if they would have made it a little more violent, it could have been rated R because there are some scenes where it's fairly violent with the ripping of people. And I'm like, ooh, yikes. Right. So I can see what you mean. But then the raptors don't like smoke. I, I watched it with my dad and he's like, so the raptors don't like smoke? <laughs> These fierce creatures? And I guess it was like some kind of tear gas or whatever but i really want to know what you think about when we see eric running in with his mask and goggles and his jungle clothes to save dr grant yeah we learned that he had been there for about eight weeks yes um trying to survive and then he just throws smoke by deus ex machina here i mean clearly and so when he just shows up and takes dr grant I mean, obviously, we know at this point it's Eric, and there's no the, the movie doesn't even try and hide that it is Eric because Doctor Green calls him by name when he gets to the overturned truck. So luckily, the movie didn't try to keep us in suspense. Like, oh, is who is it? You know, it, it's Eric, and we know what it is. Uh, but it's such, a, and this is a common theme too. There are just a lot of Deus Ex Machinas in this movie that, once again, it kind of feels a bit contrived that. We have this situation. Oh, no. How is he going to make it out? We just have Eric come in with tear gas and save Dr. Grant. I mean, yes, Eric does recognize him because he's read his book. But, I mean, he just happened to be in the same area as Dr. Grant when he was being attacked by the Velociraptors. Hmm. I don't know about that. I think, well, okay, I do believe they put the Raptors in a lot quicker because... 
they were saved for the end of the first one and they were saved for the end of the second one the raptors were a big hit so that's why they tried to incorporate them more into this movie when i was a kid when i was six i thought a kid being this resourceful and cool saving the adults he could take care of himself take on these scary creatures i thought it was awesome so if you're watching this movie with a kid i think they would really enjoy that so i do think it does bring something for adults and kids to both be to both relate to but just looking at it from my now adult perspective I find it to be unbelievable. The Kirby's said, remember when we tried and ground him? He was so resourceful. This kid is just beyond smart, apparently. I don't know him. I just know his dad is stupid. So anybody smart compared to hit, uh, William H. Macy's character, I'm sorry. That's rude. But I just find it to be silly. Also, he is tossing in smoke grenades from like all four directions. He is this omnipresent Batman kid. I I don't know. It's very silly. And then we find he's been living in this trailer park, no sweat. And in his mind, he's been there for probably like a year because Grant's like, you've been gone eight weeks. And he's like, is that all? <laughs> you know? I'm just yeah. Robinson Crusoe here. And he also has dinosaur pee? Why? Exactly. He has figured out that different dinosaur you know excretion or whatever pee can chase little dinosaurs away but it attracts a big one with a fin i'm sure he means the spinosaurus right somehow he was able to stand underneath a t-rex while it was peeing to get it i a lot of this goes beyond belief yeah yeah right right and for some reason, they chose to talk about Dr. Malcolm, Ian Malcolm in this movie. I don't know. What do you think about that? I found it as just more of a jab that Sam Neill wasn't in the second movie. Right. And so they just kind of poked fun at Ian Malcolm. That's the only reason why I think the line was in there, because it really doesn't serve much of a purpose in, at all. Oh, yeah. That's really what I just got out of that. Yeah, it was kind of weird where... <laughs> Eric perfectly says the right thing that Dr. Grant would want to hear. And they drop the line about his, he's like, his book was all chaos. It was too chaotic and he was too high on himself. And we got that from the first movie talking about chaos theory. Mm -hmm. I kind of have a little trouble with this because the Malcolm from one and two are much different people. Yes. So... I am thinking of the Malcolm from the second one, and he is not high on himself. He's actually very humbled by the experience, and I don't think he really subscribes to so much as chaos theory. He's a much more grounded person. So I put in my notes, insert eye roll with this scene. It, it was a little weird. Grant's like, yeah, that guy is an idiot. I'm glad you agree with me. You're my little two peas in a pod now or whatever. I I don't know. Yeah. Um, something else I don't like is I never liked it since I was a kid is when Eric, he goes from being this very rational kid to just hearing the jingle of his parents' phone makes him blindly run through the jungle, which he could just be killed at any moment. Like the Raptors shouldn't be that far away. They should be staking them out like they do in right. the other movies, but they don't. And we get that dumb Peyton Tile Plus jingle, which I never liked even when I was a kid, 
and we get a very weird music playing when they re when the family reunites like if you go back and listen to that scene i recommend you do that listeners weird so that's what he says something about peyton tile plus oh okay mm-hmm. Literally, I have never known what he says when they're running through uh, the weeds and everything. And he says some, 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 some. I never knew what he said for years. And now I understand. Peyton Tile Plus. Okay. I'm on board. I could never understand, no matter how many times I watched that scene, what he was trying to say when I was a kid. I always thought it was scary when they turn around at the fence and the Spinosaurus is just standing there. It's contrived is what I feel. No, okay, I do feel it is that... Well, I don't feel it is that way. It is that way, but I'm just talking about, like, emotion-wise. It's... I found it to be frightening. I mean, not just like, oh my gosh, I'm frightened so bad, like, realistic. I just mean, I think it works for emotion-wise. Yeah, I do think that they utilize the jingle pretty well in this. So when you hear the jingle and it cuts to the Spinosaurus, you know exactly what's happening. Uh, the man's being uh, slowly eaten. Oh, he's being slowly dissolved into the to these intestines of this dinosaur, which is a pretty cool moment, a pretty cool implied moment that they don't ever really tell you. Uh, I did enjoy that, but I just feel like there's a fence here and they have to run from one side of the fence and there just happens to be a small enough hole for them to get through. I find this just all kind of be contrived. Like this scene doesn't really need to exist, but it does for the sake of enjoyment and for the sake of the script. But I don't know. It's it's not not very realistic because I don't think the phone would have made it through the eating phase in the digestion. Like it would have burned up in the acid, I'm sure. And it wouldn't be emanating yeah. that loudly from his body. So it's not very Exactly. This, there's no way you would have been able to hear that phone that clearly from that far away, deep inside the bowels of this giant monster. There, there's no, there's really no way. I'm surprised that they even brought that. I mean, it's a, it is a cool moment. Don't get me wrong, but it's quite unbelievable. Well, how is it able to sneak up on them? That's what I mean when I say that this is just contrived because he just shows up and nothing ever really builds to it either. It it kind of, it doesn't make sense because in the very first Jurassic Park movie, the T-Rex footsteps caused the water to vibrate and it was just right foot earthquakes with each step. This thing has like ballerina slippers on because it is able to stalk them really easily through the jungle and just appear and i know we had a big issue with that in the second movie where right creatures would disappear conveniently people would appear conveniently this movie's kind of continuing that tradition albeit in i would say an even more unrealistic way and i do think it's kind of dumb uh alan is so insistent upon keeping billy's back and Billy is so serious about wanting it back. It it doesn't make any sense. It's silly. Um, yeah, it's the lucky strap. Remember the lucky, what is it, bag it, from the second it. one? Yeah, it came, came back for... I mean, I'll just be honest. There's really no reason for it to be here. No, and you're right. In the second one, she is constantly talking about her lucky bag, how it's helped her and saved her. And for whatever reason, they brought it back for this movie. But they're not related in any way it's 
right strange i don't know anyways i gotta say i love the pterodactyl cage scene i think this is one of the best scenes of the movie it's i will agree scary. yeah this is this is a quite i would say pretty well put together mm-hmm. scene yeah the music uh the fog how the thing comes out it's really tense it's very chaotic but it still works and uh, I really wish they could have figured out how to do an animatronic pterodactyl. They yeah. did have a uh, actual guy in a suit, but they ended up cutting that from the movie because it just didn't look believable. So I do think some of the CGI is clearly CGI. The one moment where I'm like, oh, that might not be CGI is when Billy is getting eaten down the river and the, the it turns to look at them. That was a good CGI. Yeah, that could have been a, a uh, animatronic. It, it, it was a bit hard to tell. But yeah, I do agree. This scene, I think, is one of the better ones. It, I think the reason why is because there's not much music for the first half of it. And it's all just ambient noise and them just trying to get across and everything like that. And so when the pterodactyl just shows up on the bridge and kind of walks through the fog and there's just no music accompanying it, it feels closer to spielberg than anything else in this movie and that's why i think it makes this scene so effective is that it has a more spielberg feel to it in the way that it's constructed there is music that comes in later and and stuff like that but for the most part for the first half there's nothing much and it really builds a nice way in a way that no other scene in this movie does and and i I really did enjoy that this i do agree is one of the better scenes in the movie uh i just kind of wish they do bring that they do bring back the paraglider and it's really only used because Billy, no, because Eric gets snatched by a pterodactyl. That mm-hmm. that's really only, the only reason why it's used, and to put Billy into some harm. So I like it. It feels. I mean, at least this has some setup. I will give it that. But I just want it to be tighter. I want this script to be tighter because the first two had a well, the first one had a semi-tight script, and this one pretty loose it, it doesn't feel like everything that happens in the movie is pointing toward a central idea it feels like everything is happening just because we need something to happen yeah we can't just go 10 minutes without nothing happening because then we just lost our audience or so it thinks it thinks i think that's my biggest issue is that the script thinks it knows its audience when in reality maybe not i don't know yeah i do i do really like when billy kind of without hesitation is going to go save eric and I I mean, I think that shows he's kind of this headstrong guy that really wants to do right and he just wants to help. I, I thought it was cool when he jumped and did the thing and he's like, Billy, don't. And I thought it was a, a cool shot. And I think it is a, a fairly thrilling sequence and fairly well done. The one thing that is kind of bad is when they fall into the water, those water splashing effects sound really weird. They're bad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this scene would have been more effective if Dr. Grant did this and not Billy. Because my problem with Billy is that he really isn't given much to do. He's just kind of there. At least with the Kirbys, I can understand why they're there. They both learn a lesson uh, about divorce and, and, and love and stuff like that. Billy learns a lesson of, you know, some of the worst things happen with the best intentions. Yes. But I feel like this would have been a better way of utilizing Grant's character because he also doesn't really go through much of a change here. 
And this would have been one way of maybe displaying some kind of change if they would have written it in better. I understand why Billy does it, but I would have loved to see Grant because I that would have given me a big a bigger sense of okay, Grant somebody a big important character could actually potentially die and Billy I mean he was introduced in this movie and so and he didn't really have much given to him character wise anyways and so it kind of feels like an empty moment when he does go into the river yeah I mean that's an interesting idea but this movie gives you no semblance that it's going to be that serious of a movie and kill off a main character nor is Grant that daring like I just can't picture him doing that like i just think it would look silly to see him flying around like that and right even though i do think it would be more emotional because he's like i hate kids in the first one and then he came to like kids so it would make more sense that he did it but you're right it it honestly doesn't make sense why billy would do this except to prove to grant that he's not just in it for the money i don't know but Billy is a throwaway character. He's always been a throwaway character. And so it makes sense they just essentially throw him away. And there's no love loss. Because when they're on the boat, nobody's really broken up that Billy's gone. Right. Uh, exactly. Okay, and let's talk about the scene real quick, just right afterwards. Because this is the very reminiscent of the first movie where they're peacefully going along in the boat. They, they're really close to the dinosaurs this time, and you can tell the CGI has really improved. I think it's a nice callback to the first movie. It's much more lifelike. But I, am, I have a real problem with the tone of this movie. Because it go, it's part comedy, it's part horror, part adventure, drama... It goes from hokey fun to dark horror to dark comedy to adventure. It shifts way too much, whereas the first movie had a clear progression from this kind of drama, then to this awe and wonder magical world, and then it goes dark and scary. And I did bring up, I did have an issue in the first movie where we have the really frightening encounter with a T-Rex, and then they have the fun encounter with the Brachiosaurus up in the tree. I felt like it didn't work. You and Thomas uh, were okay with it, and I'm going to bring up the same issue here. This the, the first movie had a little... didn't have as much. It did have that issue. This movie goes way beyond that. Yeah. Um, yeah, my... I do agree with mo- for the most part with you on this scene. Uh Although nice to kind of relax for a little bit, the problem is there's nothing built in this scene. I don't remember learning anything from this scene. And if you're going to have a scene like this, there needs to be a big growing moment for all the characters involved because they need to learn to slow down and learn whatever lesson the movie's trying to teach them. And this is where one of the biggest pieces comes from. Aside from all of the action and everything. And we never really get that. So, yeah, that's my biggest problem is that I wish they'd have just utilized it like the first one. Because in the first one, it's gro- it's Alan Grant growing to love dinosaurs. Not only dinosaurs, no. It's Alan Grant growing to love children more. And then the little girl also learns that she doesn't need to be afraid. Everyone grows and learns something in the scene, whatever. No, that doesn't happen here, unfortunately. And yes, moving on to the big T-Rex that shows up out of nowhere uh, and then smells the poo and then runs off. What was the point of that? I mean, obviously it's meant to be a funny scene, but when you really think about it, there really was no point for that to be there. 
no. it, it's built up so quick and then fin- and then ends so quick that it it feels jarring that there is even a dinosaur there in the first place. And yeah, there is a big issue. This scene with the T Rex should have been cut. I thought the same thing even when I first saw the movie because I'm like, oh man, this is some cool rhino dino. It it's awesome. We're gonna get something really cool, and unfortunately, it's just used for a joke. It is kind of funny, but I would have liked to have seen more with it. And it just kind of just sets you up. You're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. No, just kidding. Jurassic Park, the cartoon is what I felt during this scene. Oh, absolutely. Because they're looking at it and it's like, you know, smells. It's like, whoo, and like runs away. It's very weird. But I got to say, I do like this scene where they are in the water with this. I just I like the shot of the fin swimming in this water now this was this and the pterodactyl scene were in the first book except in the movie in the first book this was grant and the two kids on a raft and the t-rex jumped in the water and was coming after him so they've kind of reworked it here for this movie i think this is also one of the better scenes of the movie because i think the set is really well done with this big animatronic in the water and the crane and because William H. Macy's pretty high up on that crane in the fire. I do think it's incredibly stupid that they lock themselves in the cage. Because they're going to drown anyway. So I don't... You're not really saving yourself by potentially right. drowning yourself. Uh, I do I do like how it intercuts between... Uh, we cut back to Ellie's son, who is watching Barney on TV... And I do think that does show you kind of the gravity of the situation. He's home alone, safe. Oh, well, I did have an issue that she left her small child in the house by himself. That was like, well, that's dangerous. Uh, Anyways, I don't understand how Macy gets out of the cage. And I, I think it's a little funny how it's like the dino keeps yelling in anger. And why doesn't the dino just reach up and eat William H. Macy? Because he's right within his grasp. And I got to say, it's funny when Taylioni says, Paul, you can't leave me like this. And then he's like, I'm not going anywhere. I just rolled my eyes. But those are my thoughts on the scene. All right. So this, I guess I have to say it is the second best scene in the movie because I still have some pretty... Pro- some some problems with it. It, it. It's not. I guess I'm not saying much when I say that it's the second best scene in the movie. Um. Yes, Paul's character gets a character arc that we really didn't need in the first place. Or if it was there, we should have been. It should have been alluded to way more often because we only get one line that implies that he's kind of a scaredy cat. He drives five miles under the speed limit. Is what Amanda tell, Amanda tells him. So, yes, he learns his lesson here. He has to save his family, and he gets up on top of the crane to essentially uh, distract the Spino here. I mean, it, it it's a good, I guess it's a fine character moment, but we don't get any build-up to it. That's just the biggest thing of this movie. There's no build-up to much of anything, and things just kind of happen for reasons, but I do agree, it is a pretty cool shot to see the fire on uh, the river and um, the Spinosaurus like screeching and everything. That is a pretty cool shot. Unfortunately, it's kind of silly how he just runs off because fire, but um, I'll get to that in a moment. So yeah, it is interesting that um, they intercut this scene 
with a little kid back at home. Unfortunately, the problem is the tones between the two intercut sequences are vastly different. Uh, almost opposite in tone because the one with the kid is just kind of you know playful and whatever whereas what's happening back at uh Ila Sorna is a pretty serious moment like these characters are going to die if the kid does not get his mom so it just feels like these are two con two conflicting tones being put into the exact same sequence one right after the other literally cut from one to the other that's one of my biggest issues is that the tone is just inconsistent in this scene Although I will say this is still pretty exciting. I will give it that. So I don't know why Paul makes it out first. It's just because scripts, I suppose. But anyways, overall, it's fine, I guess. It it just... Once again, we're getting back into conveniences. Um, the dino just happened to whack the gasoline tank. So gasoline kind of spills out into the river, which once something else sparks, then that causes the fire, and that scares away the dino, which had nothing to do with anything the humans did, except that Paul distracted it for a brief moment. It's, there's, I never felt that there was any danger here. That's the biggest thing. Maybe when the characters were caught in the cage, and that's really about as far as I would go with it. And I just really, really wish that there was more stakes that they were raised here. It feels like, this one accident that happened with them locking themselves in the cage is the only thing that is intense in this scene. And there should be more. And that's really about it. I think one of my biggest gripes with this movie is its lack of creating a consistent atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Because... So, when they are fighting the pterodactyls and trying to fight for their lives in the birdcage... That's totally different from the beginning plane sequence fighting the Spinosaurus and trying to outlive that. And even still, the raptors are somewhere in between. And this lends itself more towards... Like, even this... Because in the beginning they fight the Spinosaurus and in the end they do. But they're totally different. Because the first one is played for just to be kind of silly and hokey. This is much darker and more serious, and the stakes are much higher. I loved the atmosphere they created in that birdcage with the fog and the mist and this crazy environment, really thrilling. That's really the only time it's like that in the movie, because everything else is very different scenes. Them running through the jungles and screaming and running off and having weird family moments that don't work at all. Yeah. Anyways... I want to know what you think of Grant using the raptor call to save them. And, of course, giving them the eggs, which they somehow saved from the river, which I don't believe. Remember when I said that this script kind of has a lot of conveniences? Yes. Did we really need this raptor so Did Yeah, did we really need this raptor scene and at this point of the movie? Like, honestly? Because... Billy takes the eggs, right? And the raptors want their eggs. That's what happened before when they had Dr. Grant cornered is they wanted the eggs and Grant, Dr. Grant unknowingly had them. Once he finds out, this is when we get the line of the worst things happen with the best intentions, right? But honestly, though, did we really need this scene to happen? Did Billy even, should Billy have even taken those eggs except for this scene to exist? And to get out of the scene, he 
find Grant just happens to have brought along his raptor call. Why would he do that in the first place is what I want to know. Bring it with him because he doesn't want to attract any more danger. I don't know. I guess, to be fair, he was thinking he was just going to be up in the plane. But I digress. This scene just feels like, oh, we don't have enough time for it to be an hour and a half. Throw this in too. Hmm. I don't, I, I mean, yes, Amanda does get a growing moment here too, where she becomes brave and gives the raptor the eggs and, and stuff like that. It just feels like we're tacking more on just for the sake of runtime. And there should have been some, I mean, if, they, if this scene was going to exist, there needs to be a reason for character development or something more that's integrated into the script better. This just feels like we're running out. We don't have enough time to fill the hour and a half. So they filmed it. We do see Grant. They they use some kind of 3D printing. I didn't even know they had it in 2001. Yeah, I didn't know they had that either. Yeah, they use it to make this raptor throat call. And I do think it's kind of cool because they finally figured out a way to match themselves with the raptor because normally it's just running and getting quick punches or kicks in and and still trying your best to get into a safe spot because the raptors are way too fast. So I guess I will say this is kind of a clever way they resurrect this ancient beast. They're using modern technology to do it, but in a way that is still effective. I guess I like it. I like this scene. It's fairly intense when Paul tries to protect his wife and the raptor just gets in his face. I think Tay Leone does a bad job acting in this, pretending to be afraid. And I'll say that for most of the movies. She's yeah. Kind of uh, wishy-washy. Yeah, I would, I would agree as well. But I think it's kind of cool to see Grant has finally figured out a way to get on the raptor's level, which is something he's been consistently thinking about for the past movie. So I guess I would say it works. But I will say this movie just comes to a really swift end. Going from the, yeah. the water sequence to the raptor sequence is, I can't even remember how they got there. And then the Marines get there and the Navy gets there so fast. And I think it's really, really weird. There's a man in a suit just standing there on the beach conveniently right at the yeah, appropriate like, time. Yeah, like, who is this guy? Where? How did he get there? Exactly. He is there when they are there at the same time. And he's just shouting into a megaphone, Dr. Grant, and then the Navy and everybody pulls up super fast. I don't even know. I still don't even know how this happened. How could she have pulled this type of strings to? I don't know. But anyway, and we also find out Billy is alive. Nope. No, he would not be alive. And yeah. I... How is Billy... Okay, I guess I understand because pterodactyls don't like water. But why does Billy need to be alive? Honestly, in my opinion, why does Billy even need to be a character in this movie? There's no... He really has no purpose except to be a plot device because of the egg situation. And then when this happens, it kind of is just like, oh, it's all wrapped up in a nice bow because all the characters that we've kind of really grow in love throughout this movie or they're all okay now whereas in the first one it felt like there was a big loss i don't like that he survived i think he probably should have either been written out or remained dead 
I do also find his line, his last line of the movie, to be very odd. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be funny or what, because Billy's like, I rescued your hat. Yeah. And Grant's... Like it's Indiana Jones or something? Yeah, and Grant is like, well, that's the important thing. Like in this weird, sarcastic... Grant's like, what? You're a weirdo. And I'm like, what a jerk. Like, why did you have to say it that way? It's a very, very weird scene for the two to end on. And I do find yeah. it weird how these pterodactyls, who are ferocious creatures, are now very peaceful, majestic creatures flying with them. Uh, yeah, we have some conflicting tones. Yeah. Anyways, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Jurassic Park 3? Oh, gosh. Uh, eh? <laughs> I don't really know what else to say because I feel like I just kind of keep repeating myself. This movie is built off of making things up as it goes along. And we get Bowie steals the eggs. Then he gets eaten or gets attacked by the pterodactyls. The, the, uh, the, I think the biggest culprit here is the Kirby's. They don't ever, they are not, they are never shown to be a couple that has gone through a divorce until it is said that they have gone, that they are divorced. And then after that scene, and from then on to the end, you can tell that they have been through a divorce. This movie just feels like it's cheating me. And I don't like that because it keeps saying things and then breaking its own rules later on down the road. Or if it's trying to be a smart script, it's not, it's, it's not building to things. And that's just that my biggest issue with it is that it does not in any sense of the word feel organic the story feels like we have to have these scenes because this is what the audience wants the movie thinks it knows its audience and then in reality it it, it doesn't where the other two were focused on this central idea of humans messing with nature not just but that just being the general idea but then having much other themes kind of working into that to craft this message this one scraps that completely and says, oh, these would be cool situations to put the characters into. And then just writes it into that situation because, you know, with no real reason for them for that to be there. It has its interesting moments, but overall, it's one I feel that I'm just going to forget after a couple of days. So all in all, Jurassic Park 3, it's... It's got some serious issues. I'll say that. It is, although still a little bit enjoyable. I will give it that much. It has interesting situations, but when it's all said and done, you're not really going to remember it as much as the other two because the other two are so effective. So, overall score, 4 out of 10. It's a weak not recommend. It's, it's fine, I guess. Oh boy, I was not expecting a 4. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not very happy as much as I was before, I guess. Well, what do I say about Jurassic Park 3? It does not have the feeling or the heart of the first, nor does it even feel like the second. Jurassic Park was about the awe and wonder with a healthy dose of fear. The second was about bigger, better action scenes. The third is about... it's hard to say... This movie really struggles with tone and purpose. Basically, this weird group tries to rescue the kid, and there's some action scenes along the way. This movie feels much smaller scale than the other two. It is hard to recommend it because there's really nothing here, 
but at the same time it's fairly harmless and has some good action. Using my rating formula, I land squarely on a 6. This movie comes with the slightest of recommends. Mm. Well, see, I can agree with that. The movie is, like you said, it's harmless. There's, It doesn't do anything that rips apart Jurassic Park in any way, which I guess is, an, I guess is a good thing. So my ranking so far is just their chronological order, one, two, three. The first one yeah. is great, and it's definitely geared more towards adults. The second one is Jurassic Park Light, geared more towards families. I think it's a great introduction for kids, for families to kind of watch it. The third one, it's just not really for anybody. I mean, I the story kind of gets under my skin, like gets on my nerves, I guess. And it's one, even though I do still have, I'll always have that nostalgia associated with it. That doesn't mean I'm going to come back and watch this one very often. Yeah, mine's the same as yours. One, two, three. I mean, there's that's kind of the general consensus, anyways. Uh, yeah, one is fan- one is just great. It's a classic. It's going to be a classic for ages to come. I'm, I'm I'm sure. Two, it has a pretty weak script and it drops some ideas that should have been there. But it's overall still an enjoyable movie. I felt that even though it has some missing things. Third one, it feels like this was the beginning of Jurassic Park one before Steven Spielberg said, oh, wait, we can do something with this, and then worked in his Spielberg-isms into the script. Whereas this one took out all the mushy, interesting stuff that made you think and said, oh, this would be fun to just be an exciting movie. So overall, still not a harmless movie, but it feels like the American version of Jurassic Park. eh. Well, like we... Like we said, it did fairly well at the box office, but yeah, that is it true. still didn't do as good as the first and second. And if the sequels are not outperforming their predecessors, then that means the studio is going to have to seriously reevaluate this movie because it still had a large budget. It still made back its money a couple times over. But still, the studio, Universal, Spielberg didn't have an interest in returning to this one he didn't have an interest in returning to a fourth one and joe johnston was not coming back and this the series just went ahead and lay dormant for 14 years until a surprise announcement that they were going to not make jurassic park but jurassic world which we will be getting to next month in anticipation for the sequel to Jurassic World. And after going through these movies like this, the the original three, I'm looking forward to a fresh reboot of this because this movie, they're just out of ideas. They really had no direction. We talked about how many ideas they went through with the script and they were throwing things out, just going with it as they came along. So yeah, I'm, I'm really ready for some fresh... Um, some fresh meat i guess you could say 14 years later right right and it is interesting that they're bringing back this idea of jurassic park because cloning and stuff like that has the at least the technology for cloning to exist has definitely 
become more advanced. And so maybe it's a good idea that they're bringing it back this at this point in, in time. So we'll see. Um, we'll, of course, save our final thoughts when we get there. But I remember when, when it was announced, I was wondering, well, what are they going to do with it this time around? Being 15 years later, what else can they do with Jurassic Park? So that'll be an interesting conversation when next month when we have that podcast to talk about what is different coming back to Jurassic Park now called Jurassic World. Well, thank you so much for listeners for joining us on this Jurassic Park adventure. Like we said, we will be back next month, but that doesn't mean we are not putting out great content every single week. We will be back with our Halloween retrospective, which I'm really looking forward to returning to. It felt like a while since we've been to the world of Jurassic Park, and it's still... It kind of feels like a while since Halloween, but at the same time, it, it feels not as much we've done a couple other things in between we will have our review of avengers infinity war coming out well when the movie comes out and make sure to go ahead on over to silver screen guide on youtube because on the youtube channel we're putting out five to six minute reviews we're putting out two a week pretty much now so you get you get all of the latest movie reviews over there on youtube the podcast is more f- so for the retrospective, but we are doing more weekend of release movies this year here on the podcast. But if you want those brand new releases, then you've got them covered over there at the YouTube channel. Alan is doing weekend releases on the website, writing reviews for those. So we are constantly putting out great content for all of you. So those of you who are listening to this podcast... Make sure to give us a five-star rating over on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating on Google Play or on whatever podcast service you are listening to us. Please uh, share this with your friends so we can get the word out there about Silver Screen Guide. If you love movies, then movies are not meant to be experienced alone. They are a communal activity that we discuss and bond over and learn from so make sure to share this with your friends get the word out there you can find us on facebook on twitter like i said the youtube is uh, really booming over there we're gaining new subscribers all the time brand new movie reviews so we're really excited to uh, kick that off and i know if you listen to our podcast at the beginning of the month we did talk about a not the beginning of the month, the beginning of the year, we did talk about a Patreon system. That is coming very soon, actually. That will be launching here just in about two months. We're really excited. We've been working on nailing down what we think you guys would like to see and get bang for buck. And I think you guys are going to really love uh, what we've got for you here. The prices are going to be really cheap and you're going to get a lot for your money. So we're very excited to be kicking that off at the very beginning of the summer and giving you a lot of great bonus content with that. So more details forthcoming on the subscription service. But like I said, thank you again so much for joining us with Jurassic Park 3 and we will catch you next time. <laughs>